Establishing the foundations of Islamic civilization in South Africa. Shahid Imam Abdullah Harun was killed in detention by apartheid torturers on the 27th of September 1969. He sacrificed his comfort, his family, his wealth, and his life for the ideal of a pluralist, non-racial, democratic South Africa. Contribute to the first of a four-part series on the role that we can play to fix South Africa. Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Broadcast simultaneously on the Voice of the Cape, Al Ansar, and Radio Islam. Visit www.asri.org.za or tweet hashtag MCSC2015. It's our future. We must make it work. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. I'm Faisal Suleiman, you from the South African Muslim Network, and you're listening to Radio Al Ansar on 90.4 in Durban and 105.6 in Peter Maritzburg. We'd also welcome the listeners of Radio Islam in Gauteng and uh, Voice of the Cape out in the Cape. Uh, tonight uh, we have the first in a series of uh, uh, syndicated ro- radio shows uh, going out simultaneously on uh, Radio Islam, Voice of the Cape, and of course Al Ansar in a build-up to a Muslim civil society a conference on the uh, National Development Plan. And uh, today is the first of those that are tackling. Uh, tonight we speak about health, and as the other programs go out from Radio Islam and Voice of the Cape, we'll be tackling other uh, dimensions of the um, national. Development plan. Now, if the NDP uh, formulated under Trevor Manuel and, and a whole host of, of experts from across the, the various fields in South Africa is the blueprint for how South Africa gets to work, how South Africa improves, then what is our role in that NDP? Now, what is our role in developing our country? Uh, xenophobia at the moment um, has brought you know, the conversation back into, into vogue about civil society, about what we do as ordinary citizens, uh, taking away from, just, um, from government and how we make our country work. And the NDP um, is that uh, blueprint, not perfect by any stretch of the means. I think even the architects of the NP, NDP would... Um, would concede, but it's a it's a beginning. It's a working progress. It's a document that um, that will change and modify it as I suppose uh, the needs and the and the circumstances change over time. But but uh, but for now, this is what we have. And how do we contribute? And uh, to working towards this um, conference on the 15th of May in Johannesburg uh, is the series of, of of talks. Today we're going to be speaking to two or three health uh, experts on various. Um, uh, initiatives that they involved with, um, and and uh, later on we'll be speaking with the Muhammad Kaji, who is the executive director of Asri. Asri um, is the organ are the organizers of the uh, civil society conference on the 15th of May in Johannesburg, and you're invited. 
you're absolutely invited irrespective of race, religion, gender, ethnicity, um, social standing, position, whatever it is. You are invited and we would love to see you at the conference. Of course, you can uh, find out more about the conference if you go to the website www.asri.org.za but I'm sure Mohammed will tell us a bit more about that uh, later on. Now, our first guest this evening, if Abdurrahman is all ready for me, is uh, Dr. Shabir Musa. He's just busy trying uh, that, that uh, number at the moment as we speak. And inshallah, he will get through and we'll be able to speak to Shabir Musa uh, in, in, uh, you know, um, in, in a few moments. However, uh, building up to that, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody has had some contact with a health professional, uh, certainly perhaps in the government and perhaps in, in, in private practice as well. And you will know clearly the disparities between the two. Um, uh, health is, is a huge challenge. South Africa has a relatively uh, large disease burden uh, in, in respect of, uh, of, of, the, of its population. We have huge, as we know very well, uh, at the moment, a large number of, of uh, uh, immigrants, fellow African brothers. Uh, I think we want to move away from the term foreigners, um, and, and, and many of them uh, needing to access the government uh, uh, service in particular, and, and, and this adding a, an added uh, burden on, on our disease or health infrastructure. Now, of course, we know that the public service, uh, health uh, you know, service is something like about 86% of our uh, population and the balance uh, by the private sector. But, of course, we know that the uh, distribution of resources is highly skewed uh, in favor of the private sector. Now, of course, many reasons for that. Uh, the question is, how does one go forward uh, integrating these two as we build up to what the government has in the vision of a national health um, uh, plan uh, similar to perhaps what is uh, in, 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 the, in the UK in, in which uh, you're able to access health in a, in, a, in a different sort of environment away from the fee-for-service environment we have at the moment in, in private practice. And of course this needs a uh, combination and an integration between pi- private and public uh, health services. Uh, now at the moment if we look at some of the challenges facing uh, the health department we of course uh, know for if you start right at the bottom uh, in, in, in terms of, of the number of service providers we've had huge numbers of doctors uh, emigrate from the country nurses emigrate or even you know go and moonlight overseas uh, obviously earning uh, hard currency uh, leaving us with the, with the burden of, of uh, shortage of health healthcare workers then we've had uh, inadequate training facilities whether it be in whatever department, um, you know, whether it's uh, education, as we know, nursing colleges, health, etc. And um, the, this has, of course, left us with quite a deficit uh, in, in terms of the, 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 the resources, uh, human uh, uh, HR resources in our healthcare. Then, then we've got, uh, the, you know, a situation where uh, for decades, the healthcare facilities were designed to cater for a, a limited population uh, who had really essentially uh, diseases of the first world, uh, whereas huge tracts of the population have really little and broken down infrastructure, uh, services, and uh, had diseases of, of the so-called third world, you know, poverty, malnutrition, uh, all of the diseases that are related to poor sanitation, inadequate and, and um and hygienic uh, water availability, uh, tuberculosis, and the diseases of, of poverty. And added to that, of course, uh, has been the double whammy of a, um, an HIV uh, pandemic, hitting again mainly your lower social strata. 
now, with that, of course, came the changes in in uh, in our government. Twenty years of of uh, suddenly having to redistribute, realign these health sources, integrate what used to be uh, a disparate health service, uh, integrate what was also a, a, Bant, a Bantustan-based uh, health service. You had uh, different municipalities, different Bantustans, uh, just like our municipalities, you know, run by different people under different jurisdiction. Um, and, and that, of course, uh, has taken some time to integrate. Over and above that, uh, we've had the, 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 the sheer uh, loss of, of both resources, financial and human, to uh, corruption, ineptitude, uh, fraud in our health uh, system. And that, of course, has had two challenges on its own. I think uh, Abdul Rahman is indicating that he's starting to win. Uh, not quite there yet. Uh, also, a work, work in progress with the various uh, health professionals we ha- we have lined up, and inshallah, we will we will win. And I think we now have online um, Dr. Shabir Musa. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. All right, we um, seem to be struggling with that line. Um, assalamu alaikum, Sh- Shabir. Wa alaikum salam. Wa rahmatullah. Can Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I can. All right, Shabir. Thank you so much for 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 joining us, um, uh, Shabir. You uh, are, are running a novel project out uh, out out in Gauteng, and 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 perhaps for the benefit yes. of our listeners, there's something that can contribute to this uh, thought process, this national conversation on how we uh, interrogate and, and integrate and and contribute to yes. the national, um, uh, div- you know, the the NDP. Uh, perhaps you can t- uh, tell our listeners. Um, and, and uh, you know, your colleagues in, in, in uh, Gauteng and in the Cape, um, exactly what your project entails? Well, um, I am basically a family physician working in uh, Johannesburg and Wits uh, University. And we've been trying to, um, you know, to strengthen the uh, public health service with, uh, in primary care especially and have been struggling to find ways in which you not only add doctors, but you change quality. And it's been quite difficult with the culture and the difficulties of management that the NDP talks about. Um, in the last uh, five years, and I've been at this in Gauteng for 10 years now, in the last five years we've realized that there are really some fundamental problems within the public service that can't be fixed up easily. So when the NHI document came along, I think together with the NDP discussion, but the NHI itself spoke of um, re-engineering primary care, and they have proceeded to um, set up uh, not only the sort of discussion around funding of the NHI, but uh, precisely how we re-engineer primary care. A lot of the focus in the public service right now has been on setting up, uh, you know, district clinical specialist teams to improve the quality of care, but more training, uh, school health teams, and also what's called primary care ward-based outreach teams. So these ward, um, um, ward-based ward outreach teams um, essentially go out into the community with community health workers, six community health workers to one nurse, and that's on paper, go out and uh, collect information in a defined community. And at the moment, what's happening is that it's not as uh, robust as it should be. And we have um, tried to improve it. The current sort of service that's being provided is where uh, people might knock on the door and say, you know, I'm coming to collect information. 
they collect it, they might find that you've got maybe sort of signs of TB or symptoms of TB and that you have um, uh, problems that might need referral. So they basically, um, you know, send that through and uh, nothing else happens. You know, you get through the clinic, you get to the same line, there's no real change. So that's what is currently happening. And the other thing in the NHI uh, discussion has been the question of contracting with GPs, which um, we think that is a very valuable idea, and that will really truly re-engineer the health system. The NHI talks of contracting with GPs with a capitated population, um, similar to a defined population. So what we've done in Shewelo, and I hope I'm not talking too long, you, no, uh, no. you need to interrupt no, no, you, please, you, please we, do so. Please go ahead. Um, but in Shawelo, this is a small community, or a, quite a big part of, of Soweto. Um, it's just across of Lanasia, um, and it's a community health center that I'm based at, so one of five in Soweto. In that community health center, which functions like community health centers all over the country, where there are big clinics and also very depersonalized care, long queues, um, the usual troubles that one has, you have to go from this section to that section. We said, well, this policy, NHI, together with PhD engineering, needs to be thought through better. And we've used uh, some historical precedent. In the 1940s in South Africa, there was discussion about setting up a national health system, and it, it started from some experimenting around what was called community-oriented primary care. A couple from... Uh, Bits University went through to KwaZulu-Natal in Polela, Underberg. They set up the Polela Health Center, which was the first uh, community health center. And in that, they also developed this idea of community-oriented primary care. And you s- the, the community health center is something we've all adopted. You can see that it's basically team-based care provision uh, to a community as much as our community health centers all function. But community-oriented primary care is a little bit more than that. And we've looked at the, what he, they did as a couple, this couple, Sydney and Emily Clark, what they did, and, and I've actually tried to uh, work on that. And it basically you know, includes four things. One is the, the question of what the government has embraced in PhD engineering or ward-based outreach teams. We've got community of workers that go out into the community. They profile each family using the form that the National Department provides. They then bring that information together and, and monitor themselves and capture that information. And we've given them some add-on info, you know, tools to use that. And we can say, for example, that we've gone into this community around the clinic in a ward, Ward 11, and have registered since February last year 15,500 people who have, out of which we've picked up 4,400 problems. We've then had the community health workers follow up 85% of them, and, and 79% of those have been resolved. Now, that's the kind of community profile one needs to build. But in, in, and we have an idea of how many diabetics there are, how many uh, those with, uh, you know, uh, who need an HIV test, based on the form that the Department of Health provides. If you go anywhere else in the country, we're not seeing anything like that, not even that basic information. But what we've done is we've gone even further than that. The community health workers are very strongly part of our team. We need talk every day. But what they do is they go out into the community to do the data collection. They actually go out and also give the community in that area 
So once you've registered, you are now entitled to come to this part of the clinic, which is a, a small space in the clinic, and that is where you are going to get your care. So when they come through, uh, whether it's a referral or if they are sick with anything, uh, they come through and they come by appointment. So they don't need to stand in a line getting up at 5 o'clock. They come at 2.30, make an appointment, they come at 2.30, and so it goes. So, uh, Faisal, you're still on the line? Yes, no, very much so. In fact, I, I, I thought I'd just um, interrupt you when you finished the point oh. about whether how the system is working. Yeah, let me, let me just finish it because it will be finished shortly. I think the, the, the first one is that the, the, the community of workers got there. The second one is that the community, the uh, community itself utilizes the service. And they come by appointment, but they see, they're seen for everything. And it's a small practice-like environment. That's why we call it a community practice, because it's practice but different to a general practice uh, with this community orientation to it. So the community comes in. We use very strong record-keeping system. We're able to uh, understand the family, community, when we see individual patients. We're also able to do follow-up. So if I have a problem with a patient where I need follow-up by the community worker, the community of workers folder is actually in my, in my patient folder. So I can write notes, leave it in his, in his tray, say, please follow up. We then should, in fact, institute a chronic care uh, where we deliver medicines to the patients at their homes. Uh, they don't need to come. You know, they have hypertension and it's well controlled. Uh, we need to check the urine, maybe their blood pressures every three months. But they don't need to come every month. And uh, with the, the, the nurse, the enrolled nurse and the community of workers, we're able to do some of that. There are two other elements, just very briefly. The one is that we have, um, in the service area at the clinic, we provide everything from immunization uh, to ARVs, and it's all in one small space for this community. Um, the, th the third element is that we get, have very strong engagement with the community. We have actually got a meeting every month where the ward committee meets with us. We have other stakeholders that are invited. It's a fairly open meeting. But we provide feedback as to what has happened over the last month, what are the issues, and together like that, we built up an understanding of, you know, the community as well as what goes on, um, and the community appreciated tremendously. The last element is that we moved slowly from the beginnings to a very strong health promotion program as from December. A lot of the first few months were spent trying to set up these systems, but also to make people aware. People didn't trust it. And we spent a lot of time trying to people make, make people aware. And one of the surprising things is we're not being used as much as we think we should, which is important for the NHI. I'll come to that later. But we also have a health promotion program, and it involves at the moment two things. One is that we uh, have uh, a walking club every day in a small community, but we've got in five different areas a walking club where there's about 150 people that come together and every morning, half past seven to half past eight. And it's amazing. I was at a, a, you know, second. The second thing that we started is a, um, a fair monthly meeting, and we're trying to build in education into this. And we had a fair on Saturday in the, uh, you know, school. And uh, mothers, these are old people. They came forward and say how much the exercise has changed them. You know, it's all too easy for doctors to say go exercise, but there's no support system. And these people do it in neighborhood garages, in churches, on the field sometimes. And it works. They're feeling, they, they have lots of evidence of change. So these are the four elements um, of the community-oriented primary care. It seems to be working pretty well. And we're actually getting some very good insight 
into how the future might work, and it's not just the fiddling of the public service. To us, it's a model for how a GP could in future in the NHI contract to provide a service but not the traditional GP where he just sees you for illnesses and sends you off with medicine. This is about saying you need to move your focus. And if indeed there's a capitation agreement with GPs, as the minister says, that GPs are the biggest beneficiaries of this, then we need to equip them well to say, you know, this is how you need to prepare your mind. And we also need to help them, uh, you know, understand the processes and negotiate a good contract. That's a win-win for government and the GP. Um, so this is the modeling that we're doing. We've already understood, you know, the utilization may not be as overwhelming. In other words, people may not, 15,000 people don't pitch up at your door. Um, we see about 15, 60 patients a day, which is actually half the current you know, visits per, mm. per year by um, by the uh, current public service. And GPs, you know, I can come back to you after, you know, you clarify, but some, a study I did in 2011 um, on GPs and their, their understanding of the NHI. But let me stop there. As, as, as a G- uh, yes, as a GP myself, I, I probably have a thousand questions for you as it relates specifically <laughs> to, general, to general practice, but I think that will detract from the little bit of time we have left. Shabiri, uh, I mean, it sounds fascinating, and, and, and you're right. You know, I think, you know, to remind people that we define uh, disease as just not, um, the, you know, it's a complete state of social, uh, mental, and, and, and psychological well-being and not just the, the, the mere absence of, of disease. And, and this, this you know, the, your, your pilot project, seems to be addressing that. Uh, was this based on any model or, or, or you know, done anywhere else in, in, in the world, or is it something novel to what you guys are, are doing here? Well, uh, community-oriented primary care started in South Africa, um, and it spread throughout the world. So you have a lot of this kind of philosophy in Israel, Spain, the U.S., Canada. Canada and the U.S., these community health centers movement is based on a lot of these principles. There's also a bit happening in Australia. Um, in the world, there isn't actually this kind of comprehensive approach. There was a systematic review in 2008 where it was found that the elements, broad elements that I referred to, are not actually practiced even in the UK or in, uh, in some of these places. There's not as strong, uh, you know, a focus on... on uh, for example, mapping communities together with consultation, health promotion. There are places, uh, CSEs in the U.S., Canada, that I imagine are doing it. Um, we've, in fact, shared this with people all over the world, and they've said this is pretty novel. So I'm speaking from correction, but, yeah, it is novel, but I suspect there are places that are doing it. Oh, wonderful. Uh, it's something I think we must get our colleagues in the IMA uh, to look at at the next convention, inshallah. Shabir, um, in, in terms of rolling out, um, you know, this, this, this model, uh, obviously on a, again, on a pilot phase into other provinces, you mentioned at the outset, you know, cultural uh, barriers, uh, cultural resistance. Uh, I, I imagine, mm-hmm. obviously, South Africa being the diverse uh, country that it is. Um, something like yes. this that, that, you know, put in different areas of the country with different cultures and, and races, etc., and, and eventually work towards a, a sort of a blueprint? Yes. When I speak of culture, I think, you know, part of the idea of being community-oriented is to, is to respond to differences in the community. You know, it's not one size fits all across the country. And even the question of being community-oriented. Each of us has more than one community we belong to. 
So the idea of a community is to is to address diversity. And I think the culture I was referring to is, in fact, the public health service culture. Um, the way in which we get very poor service in the public service, um, you know, you go to a clinic, their attitudes, there's no real service qualities left much to be desired. So those are the difficulties I'm speaking of. And I think that, yes, government is trying to change things. I'm not overly optimistic that they will do enormously to, to sort of fix the public mm. service. It will require uh, substantial re-engineering. And to me, the real re-engineering will come uh, when the GP is contracted and there's some more, there's possibly competition. I don't know whether people are aware of how the national health insurance is being thought of, but many times people think, oh, well, you know, they're going to chase doctors out of the government, out of the country. And I don't think that's true at all. I think that general practitioners have been, in the last few years, really been marginalized, you know, as a, as a part of the medical aid system. Um, they have lit- literally half the, the, the whole, you know, the, the pie of the medical aid man- administrators. And that's quite shocking. You know, the people in offices are able to benefit double the number that the, the amount that, that the GP is earning. And, of course, hospitals and specialists are just over the top. Now, these are, you know, things people think, well, quality is, you know, you, you're prepared to pay for it, and so I'll go higher and higher. But it's impractical in the country, and it will, it will not only mess up, you know, those who are able to afford it, um, but the country as a whole is actually very inefficient in its spending. So we have to, as a society, start saying, you know what, it can't be to the few who say, I can get health care demand and force their way. We've got to ask, how, do we, how does everybody get that quality, that care? But we've also got to bring up the quality. And to me, GP is an important element of bringing up quality. The public service struggles very badly. I work in it. I'm completely challenged by the difficulties. So this is the, the model we are trying to put together. You're asking about rollout. What we're doing in Shawelo is, in fact, very much what we think is futuristic, what GPs should do. But the public service is battling very badly. They rolled out these water-based outreach teams across the country, but it's very not, very unnoticeable. It doesn't seem to impact, and it's seen as more just vote-catching right now. So we have done some reviews of um, the uh, PHC outreach team in, 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 in Ekurileni, and it suffers greatly. It's a good idea. People like it, but it seems to be struggling a lot. So what I've set up, what we've set up in Shawelo, we are trying to develop and push it along. Uh, it's not exactly being seen very favorably because the public service sees the GP as a threat, sees the doctor as a threat, because it's dominated by nurses. So it's somewhat of a challenge where we are to be able to roll it out as we are talking. The study that I did, you know, shows that it, it can, in fact, roll out quite considerably. And one of the things at the ASRI conference I would hope we can discuss is how the Muslim doctor can, in fact, try to be at the forefront of pushing government to proceed around down the line with capitating GPs, but to then come up with concrete ideas as to what the contract should look like, what should we be setting up as outcomes, how do we look at the process, and, uh, and thinking it through. And IMA and the general doctor, I think, would add great value. Um, we, you know, the study I did in 2011 looked at GPs across the country, and it was a, a sample of about 900 GPs from the 9,000 that we have in South Africa. And we asked them, you know, if you were to be given a practice 
population of 10,000 people, how would you um, respond to it in terms of a charge? And what they came up with as a fee was very close to what the current public service or the public service at the time was charging, which was actually quite cheap. The other thing we asked is, well, how would you respond to this you know, new, new dynamic where you're looking after 10,000? And at the time, we, did, uh, we estimated utilization at three visits per, per person per year. And uh, the, the doctors, and, and in that equation, that scenario, we said, well, of the 120 visits you have, uh, 60 of them will be for preventive care, 60 for curative, chronic, and acute. And how would you respond? They would increase their, their, their staffing uh, to cope with that, putting on nurses, etc., and building up a team. Shabir, sorry. And in fact, when you look at the risks, but let me, let me just cut it short. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Faisal. No, no, no. We've, we've run out of time, but I, I think everyone listening sure. will have their appetite uh, wet here and, and hopefully be inspired to attend the conference and, and learn uh, a, a lot more. Sure. And, and, and certainly I think you've... You've done, uh, you know, a wonderful job of, of just, you know, touching on the on, on the diversity of the issues and certainly the complexity of some of them. And, and I know, as, as as you asked that question as a GP myself, I'm just uh, a thousand questions. But uh, Shabir, it's been wonderful having you. You wet our appetite. We look forward to. Um, to, to hearing more of your research and, and, and I think, uh, you know, to go back to that IMA conference, perhaps perhaps a survey uh, to, to all the GPs at that conference in terms of starting to uh, lend conversation to, this, to the subject uh, of GPs very, in particular. But thank you so much uh, no, for joining us. Inshallah ta'ala and with many of our listeners as well. Um, you've been listening to Dr. Shabir Musa discussing a, a pilot project in Shawelo and Soweto. And, and that was uh, part of, uh, of, of, of a greater research project. We take uh, you, of course, listening to Radio Al-Ansar uh, in Durban and Peter Marisburg and Radio Islam in Gauteng and uh, Voice of the Cape. We take a short ad break, and when we come back, we speak to um, Dr. Khan on the state of our, of our public health uh, hospitals. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. Nights at 8 p.m. Broadcast simultaneously on The Voice of the Cape, Al Ansar, and Radio Islam. Visit www.asri.org.za or tweet hashtag MCSC2015. It's our future. We must make it work. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to a collaborative effort between uh, Al Radio Al Ansar in Durban and Peter Maritzburg, uh, Radio Islam in Gauteng, and Voice of the Cape, of course, in the Cape. I'm Faisal Suleiman from the South African Muslim Network, SAMNET, and this evening we're touching on one of the issues uh, that part of the uh, key uh, focus areas of the uh, NDP, and that is health. And joining me now from the Islamic Medical Association is Dr. Ibrahim Khan. Assalamu alaikum, Ibrahim, and welcome to the show. Walaikum salam, walaikum salam. Jazakallah for the opportunity. No, you, you're most welcome. Ibrahim, now you've of course uh, worked in public health and you're also in, in private practice. Uh, perhaps we can start a little bit about, uh, I'm not sure if you heard Dr. Shabir yes, Musa. I, did. I was listening to Dr. Oh, Shabir yes. and I think he's given very good input in terms of how to improve our, our health in general. Gee, now, you know, uh, I'm sure the public's uh, point of contact when you go to a public institution, first of all, is that long queue to get your file out and the long queue then uh, to see a nurse or a doctor. And as he said, the culture of, of uh, we, we're almost doing you a favor 
uh, by seeing you and, and not just the service orientation. Perhaps you can, you know, uh, just talk to, talk, talk to us about some of the challenges being faced in, in, in the public health institutions at the moment. Well, I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, the waiting time, the turnaround time, and the long queues before you actually get your chart, and then after that you wait uh, in the hope that you will be seen by a doctor. Because, you know, generally the population of South Africa uh, prior to 1994 was more hospital-orientated and uh, not nurse-orientated. And they didn't have that concept of primary health care where they would be seen by a nurse. So the expectations generally are that if we go to a hospital, we should at least be seen by a doctor. And uh, after being seen by a doctor, they would expect uh, a host of uh, investigations to be carried out. And uh, I'm not saying that they do not get that services. Some cases they do. But what happens is that even for the bloods that are taken out, they're given again another appointment to come back. And then again, it's another long waiting queue. Again, then if they have to do x-rays, then they have to wait for an appointment to get an x-ray. And sometimes the situation demands that they have uh, radiological examinations almost immediately, but that is not available. Then again, you know, in terms of getting the blood results, that also takes long. Uh, if they need an appointment for an ultrasound, I've heard of cases where they are given at least six months to nine months waiting period before they can get an ultrasound. So I think a lot of frustration builds up in the public sector. And also, I think in terms of the staff, you know, the way they treat uh, the health, uh, the, the patients, part of it is because they are overwhelmed with work. There are so many patients, they just don't know where to start in the morning and where to end. And for them, by the end of the day, their professional calling goes out of the window. It just becomes a job for them to do. They watch the clock watching to see when it is time to go home, when the shifts will come to an end, when it will be tea break and lunch break which they take very, very uh, punctually. So that when the patients are waiting in the line and they see, they think the nurses have a don't care attitude. And uh, as a result of that, there is a lot of frustration from both sides. The patient side in terms of waiting for treatment and waiting for service, though we have got what we say in terms of the public service is that we practice quality medicine and we try to do the best for the patients that come. But unfortunately, when the patient is there waiting in the queue and he doesn't see that happening and uh, one patient complains to the next patient and the message goes on, this chap has got a broken leg, he's got a fracture, he's been sitting here for so long, nobody's saying, all that then again helps to generate more animosity towards the medical staff there. And sometimes you even find this argument taking place because of the frustration that, that, that takes place over there. But at the same time, we must realize, as you said, 86% of the population is dependent on public health service, and they have to go there. There is no other uh, avenue open to them. And as a result of that, there is also frustration because there are such high numbers that are visiting the hospitals. Ibrahim, now in the context of... Um building up to the ASRI conference and how Muslim civil society in general, but Muslim civil society in particular, the healthcare professionals in, within the Muslim uh, 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 society, how do we contribute to a discussion and uh, working towards the goals of the NDP to, you know, to address all of these with reasonable solutions towards uh, 2030? I've, heard, I've listened to Shabir Musa, and I think he's got some valuable suggestions, but what I would like to add on to his is that, you know, uh, we have a road to health chart. 
And unfortunately, that, that ends by the time the vaccinations end about uh, six to eight years' time. What I was thinking, that if we can continue this road to health chart, even into adulthood, as a permanent feature of people carrying this card at all times, and each patient, each person from birth is given a unique health care number or a card or an identity. And in this way, uh, the patients, when they come to the hospital, their records will be kept. And on production of that ID card, no matter, you see what happens sometimes patients, when they hear the service is better in Gauteng, they leave KwaZulu-Natal and they will go to Gauteng. And sometimes you find that the whole process of investigation is being repeated in another province. So, now so what happens then, efficiency of resources then become abused. And if we can prevent this, by giving every South African citizen, everybody accessing our healthcare system from birth, you have the road health care chart, but continue it till adulthood, till old age, and that will have the history of the person, where is he living, what, may, what uh, chronic conditions he's got. And also, you know, in terms of uh, them coming regularly, like at least it should be mandatory that they should come in at least once a year for a regular medical checkup. And, you know, we can do the bloods and x-rays. And if you suspect anything, then we can begin to investigate from that point of view. In that way, it is going to save us resources in that we can catch diseases early and prevention is better than cure. And we'd be able to then monitor the patients on a more regular basis rather than waiting to go screen them in a community when they've already got TB, when they've already taken lots of alcohol, when they've already been smoking and they've been drugging. And then by that time we catch up with them, we find that, you know, such a high number of people in that community are already affected and infected. So Ram- if they come regularly as, a, as, as mandatory to come regularly to hospital or to the, go to the GP and get a check and have a complete profile. A, every patient, every person should have what is known as a medical file in terms of where all your records are kept when you go to your doctor, so how the system what, what, is going to work, you in, have it ready. In this day and age, then, if you link that to your ID and a chip, of course, I can hear the conspiracy theorists uh, worried about chipping everybody yes. and Big Brother uh, having access to those chips. But uh, that would be an idea. Ibrahim, I, I, I look forward to you attending the conference and presenting some sort of uh, you know, paper on this. Uh, I really, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful idea. Perhaps if you uh, apply your mind and put some meat on the skeleton, um, inshallah, you know, why don't we discuss it at the conference? Yeah, okay. And the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, in terms of the public service, right? You're asking me about what are the problems there. If you go there, you see there's no monitoring of who's coming in terms of working hours. Whether they are regular at work, whether they are following the time schedule that they're supposed to be there, and whether the doctors are really present over there when they're supposed to be there, there's no monitoring. So everybody is like a boss of his own. Uh, he comes and goes freely, and sometimes you really need the consultant to be there because the consultant has to teach or has to perform surgery or has to do something in an emergency where they require that level of specialist attention. But then, I mean, you find that consultant is gone, but who is monitoring the consultant? Who is who's checking as to who is really there? There's not really anybody checking. So everybody in the public service feels I'm one of my own, and I'm on my own, and I, and I do as I please. And whether they're really working... They're not working, having tea, or whether they're just sitting and doing nothing or chatting. There is no 
monitoring at all. And if I know that at the end of the month, whether I work, whether I see a patient, whether I see five or ten patients, I'm still going to get paid my salary in the month. I'm quite comfortable, then I'll carry on doing whatever I have to do. But if there is going to be monitoring to say, look, you in this department, at least in a month you need to do these cases, you need to be recorded, you've got to report, you've got to do... Then we know that, okay, public service is not running in a more efficient manner because there is some form of monitoring. But as I see it, at the moment, there's no monitoring. Everybody's just doing their own thing, coming and going as they like freely. Ibrahim, um, how much better is it in private practice uh, in terms of uh, you know this sort of monitoring of a patient? I mean, I mean patients use different doctors, and as we know, often tests get um, uh, you know tests get duplicated. Uh, uh, you know, how, how different is it in, on, in private practice? Well, you know, in private practice, the patient is paying for his treatment, right? So that patient is at freedom to select the best possible service provider that he wants. But is there then also not a disintegration of care and duplication and wastage of of, of money uh, because of... of Yes, I agree with you uh, that it is. But generally you find that a patient will move away from one doctor to the next in the private practice and even in the specialist practice. The reason being is that they feel they feel that they are not satisfied with the treatment or they did not get an opinion that they hope to get. And people go around seeking second opinion. And I think second opinion is allowed, uh, but provided it is done by your doctor to say, okay, look, I'll find out and come to you. But at the same time, we find that people, because they don't want to lose their patients, do not really refer the patient for a second opinion. And as a result of that, the patient then generally tends to move away. So, But that is the patient's choice because he is paying for his treatment and, 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 and he is entitled to, to receive the best treatment because he is, he is paying for it. Ibrahim, thank you so much. I've uh, got Professor Jerry Kuvadia on the line, and, and perhaps we can go to a little uh, higher up in the hierarchy yes, um, yes. And, and, and hear what, perhaps what Prof has to say in terms of, of, uh, of teaching and, and, and what is happening in, in teaching institutions. Professor Kuvadia, thank you. Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Prof. Can you hear me? Yeah, what, but I couldn't hear a word of what was being said All right. just now All right. by no, somebody else. Gee, that was uh, one of the, uh, Dr. Abraham Khan from the IMA just talking about perhaps uh, disparity and, and perhaps disintegration of service oh, okay. uh, in, in private practice. I didn't hear that, no, no, I pro- hear your voice. No, no, thank you so much for joining us, Prof. Prof, in terms of, of, of uh, you know, we, we're discussing health, uh, and of course you are one of the people who made input on, uh, onto the NDP, uh, we've spoken a little bit about primary health care and, and, and a little bit about, about uh, you know, the, the patient experience in our tertiary hospitals. Um, yeah. Perhaps if you can tell us, you know, our, our listeners, um, a little bit about what is happening at a teaching level in terms of the challenges and, and, and the resources available. It's a mute point with every year as matric, uh, matriculants go through the question of, of entrance to medical schools, nursing colleges, etc. You know, what is the state of the demand versus resources at that level? I mean, it's quite obvious. The demand is so great, especially for doctors, but also for nurses, and possibly also for, although I don't have the exact figures, for other paramedical uh, personnel, that it's not being met, and it's not going to be met for a very long time, as long as we have the current number of medical schools and we have the current duration of teaching. So the demand far exceeds what the capacity of the country is to provide that training. 
So that's the first problem. And I think uh, they'll have to really look at how best we can solve the problem of uh, producing sufficient doctors. And they can look around at other countries. They have far larger proportions of medical schools and universities uh, compared to the population than we have. So that's just one thing. But, you know, frankly, you can't keep building medical schools. They are damn expensive. And they uh, have to be staffed with very expensive people. So we have to find some other way around. And my own sense is that we've gotten used to, the, especially as a pediatrician, I, I was very used to using and uh, uh, other health professionals. So uh, we used to, in the hospital, delegate duties to professional nurses. And, when the, and, and this is just a general rule. Professional nurses trained for something do just as well as doctors. There's no question in my mind. There are too many papers, there's too, there are too many experiences. And what is most vivid in my mind now is that when the HIV epidemic hit us and we knew for sure that there would never be enough doctors to dispense all these drugs, we um, trained... Um, nurses, professional nurses, and they've been, you know, they've been working in all parts of the country. And there was a very good paper written in the Lancet from Johannesburg about how these uh, nurses provided care, which was equal to, if not better than sometimes, medical personnel. And I, I work here in a PEPFAR-funded grant, on a PEPFAR-funded grant, and uh, that, that procedure which is called NEMAT, Nurse Initiated MRT, ARTs, is practiced every day and practiced very effectively. So I think we'll have to think of solutions like that, uh, of what, what what shall we call it, mid-level health workers. It could be uh, clinical assistance to, to doctors, clinical assistance to nurses, pharmacists, and all and, and and similar individuals. And I think finally that um, um, the new health plan for universal coverage, which is something we must get, universal coverage nowadays is so deeply appreciated by most countries, although they may not achieve it, but so many try to do so. But to get universal coverage, if you look at our health plan for national health insurance and national health services, you'll find that there are these teams of people at primary health care level. It, and I can't give you all the details, but it's uh, made, made up of five or six people at the primary care level. So it would have a pediatrician, an obstetrician, professional nurse, and so on. I think if we, we consider all of this, appropriately and then train people to work in teams and train these mid-level health workers will go some ways uh, towards uh, solving our problems. We won't solve it entirely, but we certainly will go a long way to doing that. Then again, you know, they must, um, they must bring in uh, doctors from other countries if, if we can't produce enough. Uh, Britain does that. The U.S. does that. And uh, so if they can find 
doctors who are trained adequately, who probably speak the language, would be familiar with the culture in this country, which is really demanded these days, given what's happened in the past few weeks. But if we can get such people, then we'll have to encourage them to come and work here too. So there are a number of things to be done. And lastly, of course, you know, everyone knows that you have to adjust the curriculum to the needs of uh, our patients. At the moment, our curricula, specialist curricula, our undergraduate curricula are aimed at methods uh, of teaching, which, are, which have been there for ages, you know, and they teach medicine in a certain way, which is not directly related to the way they practice medicine. So I think there's much to be done. I don't want to repeat something which we have written a lot about, and there's about, I would say, we wrote two, there's a group of us who wrote about two papers for the Lancet, more than two. Uh, in the first attempt, we wrote about six papers, and the second attempt, a summary of what's going on. And, and we pointed out in detail what the flaws of the, of the current health service, all the flaws, what they are, and some suggestions of what should be done. So, frankly, you don't need any more research to make the point that the health services in this country, uh, public health services in particular, are hugely flawed, and they need a, a, a rapid and effective uh, recovery. So before we can actually implement uh, the plans for um, national health coverage, national health insurance, we'll have to sort out the public sector. It's going to be meaningless. The people will never, ever come to the public hospitals if they are in their present state. And can they be um, improved answers? Yes. I've been to some hospitals. I also work in the Western Cape because I have a research project here. People, you know, go to a public hospital if the hospital is good. You go to the Cape Town and in fine, people are very comfortable going to the Red Cross Children's Hospital, which is a public hospital, Cruz Care Hospital, which is also a public hospital, rather than paying enormous sums of money and going to a private hospital. So I think that the public sector has to be improved. And I think it can be, but in many places like KZN and Gauteng, the big provinces, um, there, there are real difficulties in providing an adequate or a good service. Wonderful. Prof, uh, you know, as, as you said, um, it's... it's um it's something that we can spend perhaps uh, time at the ASRI conference on when we interrogate the, uh, the NDP as far as the health sector goes. And, and we look forward perhaps uh, to, to, to hearing from you. And as you said, perhaps uh, with a greater emphasis on finding solutions than, than delving or spending too much time uh, interrogating where the uh, problems uh, you know, are, which, uh, as you say, have been adequately uh, documented by you and others. Prof, thank you so much for, for uh, you know, uh, joining us at such short notice. We really appreciate your, your time, and we look forward That's to perhaps pleasure. engaging you more. Thank you very much for inviting Thank you. Ibrahim, uh, you know, uh, it was wonderful uh, having um, uh, 
uh, Prof. Kuvadia, and as he says, you know, a lot of the problems well documented. I'd like to thank you as well for 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 joining us, uh, inshallah. And uh, like I said, you know, perhaps uh, we look forward to you presenting a paper at the Asri conference, uh, or, or, you know, on the health uh, sector on this idea of 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 using one number, perhaps an ID number, uh, perhaps an electronic chip, um, to to keep a, a record and, and avoid duplication of of. Uh, Tests, resources, etc. Um, uh, you know, we've been you, you're listening to Radio Al Ansar on uh, 90.4 and um, uh, uh, a joint uh, collaborative effort with Radio Islam and the Voice of the Cape. And for our final segment on this on this uh, first of our four, we have uh, the uh, Executive Director of uh, Asri, who are organizing the Civil Society Conference, uh, Muhammad Kaji. Muhammad, Assalamu Alaikum, and thank you for joining us. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thanks for having me. I know we just got a little bit of time, so I won't be too long. Gee, Mohammed, uh, you got to whet the appetite of our listeners all across the country. Why should they come to Johannesburg on the 15th of May? Well, the quick answer is that South Africa belongs to us, and we're citizens, and we need to play an active role in, uh, in resolving the issues that we face as a society. And we heard that people in our own community are doing great things in terms of public health, and next week on radio, again syndicated, was Voice of the Cape talking about creating employment. Same time Wednesday at 8 p.m. Inshallah. And then, of course, we're going to go on to, to Radio Islam and talk about uh, the other dimensions of the NDP as well. Mm-hmm. Nation building and um, corruption. Those are the other two coming okay. in the series. Give us details. Uh, how can people find out more about the conference and, and, and you know, what's involved? Um, www.asri.org.za um, That's asri.org.za There's a lot of information on the website about the conference. My contact details are on there. Uh, conference registration and all of that is on there as well. Wonderful. And just to remind people, it's in Fordsburg. It's on the 15th of May. Of course, there is a gala. Are the public invited to the dinner, the opening by uh, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa? Yeah, they are. Tickets are limited. The venue is now the Wonders Club because of security issues in terms of access and so on. Um, but tickets are still available so people can go to the website to register for the, for the gala as well as the conference. Wonderful. Mohammed, as you, as you know, we've run out of time. It is syndicated. We can't uh, really go over. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And inshallah, we'll redirect people to the website. And uh, we look forward to their participation uh, at the conference. Excellent. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa You're listening to Radio Al Ansar on 90.4 in Durban and 105.6 in Peter Marisburg. You're listening, uh, joining us this evening on, the, on, the, on this collaborative effort has been uh, Radio Islam and Voice of the Cape. And I really would like to thank both the management and technical staff of for both uh, Radio Islam and uh, Voice of the Cape um, for all the effort involved and, of course, uh, to our guests. And more importantly um, to you, inshallah, go on to the website, uh, learn a bit more about, about uh, you know, what, what we said. If this is the blueprint, how can we make an impact on this blueprint? Make it our own so that we don't complain in 10 years from now that this or that or this or whatever. Uh, let's get involved. Um, and, and inshallah, we look forward to your participation. Remember, the conference is open to absolutely everybody. Uh, you can get more details uh, from this uh, SEMnet uh, office or even, uh, as, as Mohammed has said, the ASRI website, asri.org.za. I'm Faisal Suleiman from the South African Muslim Network, thanking you for your uh, attention. And inshallah, um, continuing to join us uh, in the series uh, up to the build-up uh, on, on May the 15th.